I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives. My guest today is Dr. Annie Heiderscheid, Director of Music Therapy and Associate Professor at Augsburg University, right here in Minneapolis. Annie has been a board-certified music therapist for 32 years and is also licensed as a marriage and family therapist. She has authored over 70 peer-reviewed articles, 40 book chapters, and three books based on her clinical work and research. An expert on music therapy within the context of eating disorders, Annie has authored a book titled Creative Arts Therapies and Clients with Eating Disorders. I learned about Annie's work through a listener. Shout out to Kieran Vaccaro. Thank you, Kieran. And welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, Annie. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, starting out, Annie, before we jumped into this conversation about applying music's healing powers to the challenge of eating disorders, tell us just for context, very briefly and simply, for purposes of our conversation, what do you consider an eating disorder? how How do you define it? Yeah, so eating disorders have very specific criteria and there are different types of eating disorders. And so they are included in what is called the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And so they fall under that umbrella and there are different types of eating disorders. And so each of those has specific criteria, but what is at the kind of, I will call it the foundation of any eating disorder is um, a really complex, not only relationship with food, but also with one's own body. Each eating disorder has its specific criteria, which is related to unique symptoms of of each disorder. So whether that's um, restricting food or binging, um, all of all of that, you know, has there's kind of specific criteria for anybody to be diagnosed with with any one of those eating disorders. But sometimes we see people with what we might call disordered eating. And that's um, where they might be restricting certain types of foods. Again, that would be outside of the limits of somebody who would have a food allergy. If we're allergic to something, we're not going to eat that food. Sure. But if we've if we're restricting it for other other reasons, or we're restricting certain food groups, then we start to develop what we call kind of a disordered eating patterns um, or disordered relationship with eating. And then if that is prolonged and extended and becomes more persistent, it can develop into what we would call an eating disorder. But in order to be kind of classified as, as you know, whether it's anorexia, uh, binge eating disorder, um, it has to meet that specific criteria within the DSM-5. Okay. And for those of us lay people, yes. we tend to think of anorexia, bulimia, and yep, you mentioned, you mentioned binge eating, and then it sounds like there may be sort of this additional category that I don't know if catch all is the right word, but disordered eating that doesn't maybe fit one of those other categories. Correct. Yes, it would be kind of a could be a precursor to developing an eating disorder. Okay. And what are we seeing with the incidences of eating disorders over the last, say, 50-ish years? Are we seeing those increase? Are they increasing dramatically? Are there certain demographics that are more affected than others? Yeah, we're seeing increases and we're actually seeing increases around the world. So not just in the United States, but all around the world. And some of that... um, 
you know, there's a lot of um, thoughts around like, why are we seeing that? Um, Some of that can be due to social media. You know, we see particular images that might be revered about, about body and body types. And so that can impact people developing eating disorders, you know, because people are getting more and more access to social media. um, And I think certainly as we are looking at the impact of the pandemic, the stress of that also impacts um, developing different challenges and as well as, you know, kind of related to eating disorders too. Um, And what we're also seeing is people developing eating disorders at a younger age, as well as at an older age. So seeing increases in eating disorders in individuals, you know, in elementary school, moving into middle school, as well as um, people in their 50s and 60s. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I definitely tend to think of adolescence when I hear the term eating disorder. Mm -hmm. But that's interesting that you're seeing more on either end of that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the areas I think where we might not necessarily expect that. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's, I, I hear from people frequently, they think of, of eating disorders as an adolescent disorder. You know, we see people in treatment, you know, through a much broader lifespan than I think most people might recognize Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Well, and I am realizing that I tend to think of eating disorders as a female issue and a female challenge, but that's not necessarily the case, is it? Right. And so while we see a higher incidence with females than males, um, you know, it's, I think the challenge is, um, and that there's a couple challenges with that. I think, I think because of that kind of bias that we may hold, I think that bias can hold true within healthcare as well, that we might not see it in males as much because we don't think we don't expect to see it there Mm -hmm. as well as males may not be seeking out treatment because they may not feel like treatment is designed for them. Hmm. Um, We're also, we also see, see struggles with athletes, whether it's gymnasts, dancers, wrestlers, having to, or being expected to kind of lose weight in order to be able to compete more competitively in their sport Um, that mm -hmm. that fosters developing a rather um, complicated relationship with food and weight. Sure. Yeah. I've heard uh, there's a podcaster who I listen to who's a former bodybuilder and I have a friend who is a former bodybuilder and I've heard both of them talk about how they, one reason they eventually got out of it was just because they felt like it was such an unhealthy, um, situation in terms of their relationship with eating and their relationship with their body. And so certainly that's not the case with all bodybuilders, but it does seem to sort of be inherent with that. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I will say there's, there can be that risk. And I think it's, you know, it's important. It's, this is certainly not throwing any athletics under the bus, but I think to recognize um, what are the messages? And, and and even with dance, there can be messages about certain body types, about weight. We need to ensure that we are working to hold positive and build positive relationships with our body. Mm-hmm. We don't all have the same body type. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at images and media, whether that's magazines, um, online, on TV, in the movies, we don't all have the same body type. And uh-huh. so it's it's healthier for us as human beings if we see different body types represented in all of these forms of media. Sure. 
You have used the word already in our conversation today, complex. And that was one thing I remember you mentioned last time I talked to you that yeah. you're, you're sort of drawn to complex situations and eating disorders are complex because they involve both a physical and mental component, uh, kind of a physiological and psychological layer. Talk to us a little bit more about the complexity that's involved in facing the Absolutely. challenge of an eating disorder. Yeah. So, you know, I think the challenges and, and as yeah, someone who likes complexity, mm-hmm. you know, one of those challenges is then, you know, <clears throat> working to meet someone's needs holistically <clears throat> when they're dealing with something very complex, like an eating disorder. So for example, not only, you know, with any, with any eating disorder, there may be other mental health or other issues underlying it. So there might be trauma, there might be depression, there might be anxiety, there might be some OCD, there might be an addiction. So oftentimes um, there could be other issues in addition to the eating disorder. And so, you know, while we can't just separate things out because we are kind of one being in one body, um, we need to kind of deal with all of those pieces. But eating disorders um, have their own kind of mental health component, you know, that we, we often talk about the eating disorder as its own entity, the, the negative thoughts that are kind of running through one's thoughts and mind, um, and that can be rather persistent and rather difficult. You know, we talk about those as kind of eating disorder thoughts um, to try to work to separate those out from the person. So we're dealing with that, but we're also dealing with that relationship with food, that relationship with one's own body, how one sees oneself, as well as the impact of the eating disorder on one's own body, one's physical well-being. So it could be that someone has developed a number of physical health issues because of the eating disorder. For example, with anorexia, if if someone is restricting, Mm -hmm. um, if they're restricting severely enough, um, we can begin to see their bone density is compromised. Um, so that they're losing, they're losing the strength within their bones. Over time, we can see loss, um, hair loss. Um, we can see loss of muscle tone. Um, we can see if there's enough nutrition um, restriction that actually we see the brain kind of shrinking because the brain isn't getting enough nutrition to be supported. Wow. So there can be cardiac issues. There can be digestive issues, endocrinological issues. There's so many issues that can occur because the body is not being nourished Mm. well enough to support its own self. And so if there's not enough nutrition, the body is looking to see what can it do to survive? What do I need? You know, it needs to keep the heart beating to survive. Mm -hmm. And so it starts to look at what, what parts of the body do I need to turn off or shut down to survive? So One's nails might stop growing, the hair might stop growing, and the hair might start to fall out. So the body is really moving into a self-preservation mode to keep you alive. Sure. Just really focusing on those vital organs. Exactly. Exactly. Well, well, my favorite question to ask and then to listen to your response is next, why is music therapy especially effective in treating and healing eating disorders? And as part of that answer, as you're talking to us about that, you can also, we'd love to hear some specific examples of how you do use music in this healing process. Yeah. 
well, I'm, I'm horribly biased when it comes to this <laughs> and, and have always loved the work that I've been able to do working with individuals and their families um, as they're working to move into recovery uh, from their eating disorder and to heal from that. Um, but I will say mu- music is complex. So there's this, there's this kind of shared complexity in music and, and with eating disorders. Um, and music is accessible. And so that's part of what I love about that work. Mm-hmm. Um, but because eating disorders are really complex, I can use music and music therapy in many different ways to meet lots of different needs of clients. And as a music therapist, I'm using music in all the different ways in which we can engage with music. So listening to music, and that might mean we're using music to um, manage stress and anxiety. So learning how to cope so that we're not using the symptoms of the eating disorder. We're not using the restricting and the purging or the over-exercising, helping patients develop new ways of coping. Mm. And that's because really because that eating disorder is in itself a coping exactly. mechanism. Yes, those symptoms are a way of managing and coping. And so we can't just simply say, stop doing that, right? We need new ways of coping. Mm-hmm. And so music is one of the ways that we can um, use as a means of coping. I used to do a, a regular group called the Art of Relaxation, where um, every week we did a different type of music-based relaxation. So whether that was listening to music to kind of slow down the rhythms of the body to foster a relaxation response. Cause when we get stressed and anxious, all the rhythms of the body speed up mm. um, or using music and doing some guided imagery or doing some active music, making playing, playing music as a means of fostering um, distracting us from stressful thoughts, as well as playing music that's slow enough to slow down the rhythms of the body. Mm. So lots of ways that we can can even use music listening um, or working with clients to develop a playlist that they can take home with them and use whenever they need to, to listen to music that might empower and uplift them and support developing positive messages about self as they work to kind of counteract some of those negative eating disorder thoughts. Huh. You mentioned the word distraction, and that reminded yes. me there was a quote on uh, your website or a website that was an article about you or something that quoted a, a participant in these sessions as saying, while we were playing together and creating music, my eating disorder was not present. How great yes. it feels to have time away from it. So that was something that really caught my attention. I could see how that distraction would be really helpful u- using music in that way. Absolutely. Right. And and music holds us in the moment when we're making music or listening to music. Um, it can hold us in that moment, kind of in that here and now. Mm-hmm. And so it can pull us away from those things that, um, you know, if there's really negative thoughts, it can kind of hold us in that moment and right. Give them a break from their eating disorder. Yeah. And the moment, the more time they can have to kind of step away from that, then they can experience how different that feels, Mm. how it feels to not have all those negative thoughts pushing in um, every moment of every day. But when I can get a break from that, 
how, how much different I feel about myself, how much better I feel, uh-huh. um, which is a huge part of that. Well, you mentioned several examples of how you do use music. You mm-hmm. also use music in songwriting. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So writing about, um, writing about one's own experiences is, I will say, a really empowering pl- process. Most, um, almost every client I've ever worked with throughout my career, no one's ever actually, they don't come into music therapy going, oh, I've written songs before. Most clients come in and go, I've never written a song before. Mm. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't do it in music therapy because that's part of my role as the music therapist is to make this accessible. Uh-huh. And so I had a group one day that had um, heard a song. The song was about a woman who was involved in an abusive relationship and was married to someone who was abusing her. And th- one of the clients came into group that day and said, we should write a song about, you know, the eating disorder is is like being in an abusive relationship. And we should write a song that is about saying goodbye to the eating disorder. Goodbye, Mm. Ed. Goodbye, eating disorder. So the group worked together, wrote this song. The song was really about their process of developing the eating disorder, struggling with the eating disorder, then coming into treatment, what they learned about themselves in order to begin to recover. And, And really then about saying goodbye to the eating disorder, having to say goodbye to it, having to move away from that. The group ended up um, recording their song. They they chose to record their song. And then I um, made a copy for each of them and gave them a copy of their song. So like on a CD? Is it the, CD. Back in the day of CDs. <laughs> they, got a, they got a CD of their song. And, and then a couple of years ago, I was actually driving to work, driving to Augsburg. I happened to stop at a Starbucks that I don't normally stop at. And I, I walked in and I went up to the um, counter to put my order in. And um, I haven't, I hadn't even, I was just kind of stepping up and the person said, are you Annie? Uh (laughs) And I thought they can't know how they know me here. This isn't even a Starbucks (laughs) I normally stop at. And then, and I said, yes. And, and then she said, are you Annie, the music therapist? And I said, yes, that's quite specific. (laughs) And, um, and she said, do you remember the song Goodbye, Ed? Oh. And I said, absolutely. I remember oh, that wow. song. And she said, well, I was in the group that wrote that song. And she said, I just want you to know, I still have my recording of that song. And this was several years ago. That this yeah, I was going to ask, like, how many written. years had passed between the time probably of writing seven, this song? Probably seven. Probably seven. Wow. And and she said, I just wanted you to know how important music therapy was to my treatment and my recovery. And I still wow. listen to that song. And then she said, and I want you to know how well I'm doing in my recovery. Oh, my goodness. That just gives me goosebumps. Yeah. And I will say, I got my coffee. I told her, I'm so pleased that she's doing so well. And then I got in my car and I cried the rest of the oh. way to work. I was so <laughs> Moved by that experience. And I mean, I love the work that I do, but I was really taken aback by how impactful it was for her that she was still remembering that all of these years later. 
Yeah, and still using that for her sense for her well being and her health. Exactly. Wow. I mean, what a powerful story and what a powerful testimony to the effectiveness of what you're doing. And I can see how that would be so touching. And one of those moments that like, wow, that just makes every other, you know, stinky moment worth it to hear one of those stories and testimonies from someone that you've worked with. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think to not underestimate the power of music, you know, music is such a powerful tool. And that that's what continues to um, amaze me is that was just a moment that I went, we just can't underestimate the power of music as this tool. Mm -hmm. Here's a quick break for one of our sponsors. Someone may have told you that ARP isn't for you, but they were wrong. Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary. You mentioned a couple times how music is accessible. And as I was preparing for our conversation, I saw something that sort of caught my attention. It was pointing out how with music therapy, the music is, or I should say the therapist is not focusing on the technical quality of the art, whether it's music or a different art, but it's the focus is really on that therapeutic process. And as someone who's been a piano teacher for 30 years, I thought, oh, that's really an important distinction and differentiation to make is this isn't about being technically correct and becoming more and more advanced in what you're able to do musically. This is about almost using music as like a portal to give access for both the patient and the therapist into maybe feelings or perceptions or perspectives that even the patient might not have even identified in themselves or be aware of in themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so our, our goals are not to make someone more musical or make some, you know, to develop necessarily to develop their musicianship. A lot of, um, you know, clients that we work with don't have a musical background. They may like music, they may listen to music, but they maybe have never learned to play an instrument. And, and with that said, I will also say that I've had clients who have said, I stopped playing my instrument because the eating disorder took over my life. Mm -hmm. And I want to reclaim that. I want to Mm -hmm. reclaim that part of myself because that was an important part. But, but the eating disorder just kind of consumed my life and took that away. But clients do not have to have a music background to be, to benefit from music therapy. And we're using music as this resource and tool so it may be to, we may use a song. Um, I've sometimes asked clients to bring in a song that um, describes what it's like to live with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And I had one client bring in, um, it was a Tracy Chapman song called Remember the Tin Man. It's a really, um, it's a very cyclical song. And it, so there's the cyclical repetitiveness of it, which um, listening to it, I could just feel kind of their stuckness in their eating disorder because you hear this kind of rhythmic melodic pattern repeated again and again and again. And so it's this sense of not being able to move from that place. But then how, you know, in the song, she talks about kind of having things stolen from you. And, you know, and as she talked about, we we listened to her song in the group. 
And then she talked about it and she said, the eating disorder just steals the essence of who you are. Hmm. And she said, my family doesn't understand that this isn't just a choice I make, that this is actually a disorder and it's not a choice that I'm making. And that was a really difficult part. And so after we had listened to this song in group and she'd processed it, I'd asked her afterwards, have you thought about sharing this song with your family? Mm -hmm. Um, And they took it into their next family therapy session to be able to kind of share what it was like their perspective on living with this eating disorder and trying to help their family understand their experience in living with this eating disorder. Ah. Um, So it can serve as a means of expressing our experiences, but also communicating our experiences and, and having the song do this um, kind of allowed her family to hear it in a new and different way, which was really helpful for her. Mm-hmm. I've heard yeah. of veterans sharing their stories through music yeah. in ways that they couldn't just talk to their family members about what their experiences in war had been. It, it, there's a lot of corollaries there to what you're describing. You had mentioned Absolutely. that eating disorders are complex. Music is complex. And I can hear that just in the various ways that you're talking about utilizing music and how it can touch on the emotions. It can touch on the ability to communicate and express yourself. It can touch on physical elements like calming down, slowing a heart rate, Mm -hmm. and also physical. I mean, music can be very healing just in and of itself, especially when you're making music with other people. There's so many healing elements that are a part of that. And it's, it, music is versatile. You mentioned it's accessible. It can also be very non-threatening, especially when, as we mentioned, this isn't about how talented of a musician you are. This is just about utilizing music and having fun with it and having it be productive in the process. Absolutely. As, as one of, there's another moment, therapeutic moment that came to mind for me. And we, you know, we engage clients in, in making music, not only through composition, but improvising. Mm. And I was doing group one day and we were doing some improvisation. And I, this, this to me is an illustration of some of that complexity in the group. We were improvising. What is the voice of the eating disorder and kind of just playing that in the moment. And that music was really heavy and dissonant and um, really overpowering. And then we played, what is the voice of recovery? What is that voice? Hmm. And it was very harmonic and it was very consonant and it was very, you know, much more calming, but still having a sense of energy. Hmm. And when we, you know, talked about each of those, they're opposing sounds, mm-hmm. right? The eating disorder voice was just very powerful and um, was difficult to even tolerate in our improvisation, where we just wanted to kind of linger in that sound of that recovery voice because it was calming and peaceful and so much more consonant in the process. And as we talked about that, we began to talk about how do you, how do you work to quell that eating disorder voice? And we talked to, you know, the group talked about those challenges, but rather than just talking about it, we took, I took the group and we split the group into two where part of the group came back and started to play the voice of the eating disorder. 
the eating disorder voice uh-huh. was very heavy and very powerful. And then part of the group was the recovery voice. And so we're playing these two different voices, which are what clients are experiencing in their recovery, right? They're trying to find and claim and hold on to their recovery voice and the eating disorder voice is kind of still working to, to tear that down. Uh What we could do musically is what they really experience internally. It was an interesting process because the initial part of playing both of those simultaneously, the recovery voice really struggled to hold on Hmm. and it got overpowered. And so we, we kind of, we paused that we stopped it and we, and then we talked about that and we talked about what is the recovery voice need? You know, what is needed within that voice to combat that eating disorder voice? And we came back to it again and they practiced it. It's it's this process. What they're practicing it in the music is what they're living in in life. I always tell my students, what happens in the music happens in life. Mm. Well, and another reason it can be so powerful, I'm sure, to share that with family members so that they do have a little exactly. bit more of an understanding of what this exactly. person is experiencing. Yeah. And what they experienced in the music is, you know, what I, what they needed to do was to make sure that they were listening to each other, working together to hold on to that recovery voice in order to combat the eating disorder voice. Hmm. And so that was a reminder to them of, I can't do this alone. Yeah. I can't just go this process alone. I need to reach out. I need to lean into my support and not try to just combat this all on my own. I need other people to make my recovery happen. And so they get to take this experience of practicing this in the music and they have a deeper understanding because they've lived in the music to then carry that out into their life outside of treatment. Hmm. Well, and for your clients, not only are you a board certified music therapist, you are also a licensed marriage and family therapist, which yeah. is a pretty powerful combination. How common is yeah. that? And what led you to become a licensed therapist in addition to a music therapist? Yeah, it's it's not terribly common. But I will say what led me to this is that um, as music therapists, we're board certified, which is a national certification. But that national certification doesn't give us automatic access to billing insurance companies for services. So that means people are limited to how they can access music therapy services. So initially, when I started working with clients with eating disorders within an organization, they had to find grant funding to cover, have a music therapist in there to cover my time and my services. Mm-hmm. Once I became licensed as a marriage and family therapist, then my services could be billed to insurance companies. Uh, And so that created access Mm -hmm. or services, not only for clients, for their, uh, for their families. And I will say music is a powerful tool. Music therapy is a powerful tool with families as well. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, we will include links in the show notes to a list of the books you've edited and co-authored, your articles on ResearchGate and Augsburg links for the music therapy website and their music department website. Are there any other resources that you want to recommend to listeners who might want to learn more about applying music's healing power to the challenge of eating disorders, whether it's for themselves or for a loved one? Yeah. 
And, you know, the interesting thing is there's there's really limited things out there with regards to music therapy with clients with eating disorders. So um, probably one of your best resources is to find a music therapist who, who can support that process. But you can also look at, I find there's great resources in how to use music to manage stress and anxiety. Um, and so looking at some of those wider, wider resources that still all has application to, you know, eating disorders, because the more stressed we are, the more vulnerable we are. Mm. So using music in those ways to manage stress and anxiety are important resources to be able to use too. And if someone wanted to search for a music therapist in their area, do you recommend going to the American, well, for those of us, us in the US, the American Music Therapy Association? Or- yeah, absolutely. Yep. You can okay. you can search for a music therapist um, on the American Music Therapy Association website. Um, you can also do a search on the certification board for music therapists website. And you can, yep, you can plug in some information and find someone in your area. And that's a great way to find someone. A lot of state associations, for example, in Minnesota, we have a uh, Music Therapy Association of Minnesota okay. um, can can help connect you to. So if you search your state and Music Therapy State Association, you will often find a state association that can help connect you as well. Mm, wonderful. Well, this has been so delightful, Annie. I love what you're doing. And I was thrilled when I found out what you were doing. Because as you just mentioned, there doesn't seem to be a lot out there on music's application in this area. And so it's, it's thrilling to hear what you are doing in that area. I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Is there a song or a story that you can share with us today in closing? Gosh, you know, there are so many, so many great moments that (laughs) come to mind Uh, for me. Music is, is such a powerful tool and I'm incredibly grateful that I get to use this tool and resource to foster healing in in my work as a music therapist, but in my own life as well, because mm-hmm. music helps us to express some of our deepest experiences and feelings. It connects us to other people. It connects us as a community. Um, and it really holds this unique capacity all around the world. And I, I want to mention a resource that has um, that is fairly new, which is um, put out by the United Nations, which is it's called a music music is a global resource. And it's a free resource people can access. If you Google that, you can download this. So music is a global resource solutions for social and economic issues. It's a wonderful resource for people to access as we look at music, having music at our fingertips. And um, I will say one of the one of the ways in which I, um, well, I use music in my own life in many ways. I'm, I'm a vocalist. And so I sing, sing regularly because that's good for my health. As I sing with other people, it, there's so many positive health benefits that come with that, but I love how music connects us as people. And when each of my children were born, um, my husband and I selected a song that we call their birth song. And that song is a song that we listen to each year on their birthday. And that song, um, we selected that song once, once we met each of them when they were born, um, selected that song just uniquely for, for each of them. Mm -hmm. And so um, I love how song songs hold connections for us and they hold connections for us, whether we recognize it or not. So anytime I hear each of those songs, 
it connects me to each of them. I have a song that um, that my husband and I danced to at our wedding. When I hear that song, it takes me back to that moment. <laughs> it's so like that we, olfactory sense, isn't it? it? Is, that sense of right? smell where it can just take you back just in an instant. Absolutely. So we all have these songs. We have what I, I kind of like to call our, our musical or song autobiography. Mm. Songs that represent people, moments, experiences in our life. If you aren't aware of them, you know, I think it's great to take a moment to become aware of what are those songs that remind you of people, places, maybe concerts you've been to and you shared that moment with someone. It's great. You've probably had those moments where you've been in your car and a song comes on and it reminds you. It, it's like time travel back to a moment. Mm-hmm. And um, those are incredibly valuable artifacts for us to kind of hold on to as we have these songs that connect us to moments, to memories, to people, to events. Um, So I would encourage people to find those as you kind of collect them in your life and they will continue to be a resource and a way for you to access those moments and memories throughout your life. Thank you so much to Annie for sharing her expertise with us today. This was such an uplifting and inspiring conversation. I hope that if you or a loved one is experiencing an eating disorder-related challenge, that this conversation was encouraging for you and gave you more understanding about the powerful tool that music can be in your health and well-being toolbox. As always, there are lots of links in the show notes to resources discussed in this episode. You'll also find a list of related episodes that you may enjoy, including episodes about why lyrics are so powerful, why lyrics combined with melody or music are so powerful, music's use in healing addictions and staying sober, how music is being used to help veterans who have experienced trauma, and a board game that you can play with friends and family that gamifies those song connections that we have to life events that Annie was talking about. All Enhanced Life with Music episodes are evergreen, so be sure to check out the back catalog for more ways that music can make your life better. Today's show notes can be found at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast. This is episode 148. A link to that show notes page is in the episode details right in your podcast app. If you know of someone who would enjoy this episode, please share it with them. It's the most common way people discover podcasts, and it's easy to do right in your podcast listening app. Just look for your app share function to share by text, email, or social media. And of course, you can always share the show notes webpage as well. You can always connect with me on email, mindy at mpetersonmusic.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, may your life be enhanced with music.